Welcome to the All About You podcast. My name is Sheila and I am your host. In this podcast, I invite people to tell their stories of their travels, hobbies and passions. These podcasts are also now available on my All About You YouTube channel. So if you have a story to tell, please contact me on allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and let's tell your story. Welcome to the All About You podcast and my guest today is Trevor and we are talking all things gaming. I have to admit I know nothing about the world of gaming and that's why I wanted to invite Trevor to give us an introduction and an insight into this topic. So not only are we going to be talking about popular games such as Minecraft, Fortnite and Candy Crush, but also the aspects of connection, entertainment and addiction in the world of gaming. I wanted to talk about gaming from the point of view of a gamer and also look at it from the viewpoint of parents of gamers. So hopefully it will be an an education. So Trevor, welcome to the All About You podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Well, Trevor, I'm really interested because I know nothing about gaming, so it's definitely going to be an education for me. So where should we start? Oof, it's a big, uh, <laughs> that's a big question. I think what's interesting is, you know, gaming used to be tiny little consoles, little arcade cabinets in various places. But at the moment, gaming as an industry uh, is larger than movies and music combined. So as an entertainment property, it is the biggest thing that exists. And the you know number of people gaming, both boys and girls, grows every year. It continues to expand out. And that's everything from dedicated computers to consoles to mobile phones, which everybody's kind of seen. So you know, gaming is a very broad topic that touches a lot of aspects of life. And I think approached appropriately can be a very positive force. I am just shocked with what you have said there, that gaming is overtaking film and music. Combined. Mm-hmm. Put them both together. They're not as big as gaming at this moment. So the yeah, the funds that go into it, the uh, revenue and profit from that industry is just gargantuan. Fortnite, for instance, one of the biggest properties, makes over $130 million a month at least. If not more, and I, and I believe I'm underquoting that. It could be much more than that. So these, they're very lucrative products that are expanding out to a further and further base. Now, my experience of gaming is, I, I, I'm under the illusion, and, and please correct me here, a game is invented, but if you want to keep people involved in that game, you're going to have levels where they have to move up through the levels. They gain points, for example. Is this how they make their money? I mean, do you subscribe to a monthly gaming subscription program or do you buy the game? Mm-hmm. That's a great way to great place to start. So, I mean, classically with games, you may remember it from long ago and myself, like when I was first coming up. It was, you know, arcade cabinets. You went to an arcade, you had a quarter, you put the quarter in, like that was gaming. Eventually there was the advent of the home console. So you had, you know, Nintendo and Sega Genesis, those kind of gray, tiny boxes, Atari too. A name might be familiar to folks. And that was very much a simple pay-to-play type thing. You buy a console for $100, you buy a game for $50. That's the sum total of everything that exists. What has evolved now, which has allowed this to kind of supplant uh, music and film, is the kind of recurring revenues, ongoing revenues, and kind of larger and larger titles. So I mean by that is a game like Fortnite, despite, so I I mentioned the figure, and I'll I'll tell you, I'm probably way low, but let's go with 150 a month, 150 million a month. It's a free game. You pay zero dollars for it. Nobody buys Fortnite. It's just for free. And it, it, you can play it on your Android phone. You can play it on your tablets. You can play it on console, computers. Wherever you want to go, Fortnite exists as a free game. There's not even the, the way they make their money is by twofold. And and to be clear, again, like at its absolute base level, it's free. Uh, that you don't have to pay anything to play it. You can totally be in there and not never spend a dime. 
the way they make their money is they'll sell you what's called skins. I want my character to be dressed up like a skeleton and I can purchase such an item for $5. The other thing it does is that as you achieve things in game, the more things I do in game, it's going to give me some rewards. So for instance, you, you look at a game like Fortnite and it's, it's an interesting example of how monetization works. Cause I mentioned like that property makes over $150 million a month, but it's completely free. You pay nothing to play Fortnite, and it's across every device. You can play it on your phone, you can play it on a tablet, a console, a computer. Fortnite is what you call a battle royale game. So you log in and you get into a game, and you're just one little character, one little avatar, and you'll use various weapons, so guns. So it's a bit, a bit of violence to it, but it's kind of guns in the sense of the old Looney Tunes style, right? So this is some oh, <laughs> it's more akin to Elmer Fudd carrying around a shotgun than it is, you know, something terrible, like a war movie type of thing. Mm -hmm. And you're battling other players at the beginning of a match. Uh, to put it simply, there is uh, up to a hundred other, other people, actual other players, and you're all dropped in and you're trying to eliminate everybody else and be the last one standing. So that that's being come to known as a battle Royale. So you play Fortnite, you log in, you're one character, and you're trying to just beat everybody else and be the last sole survivor. You could do so in teams or by yourself, different modes, but that's kind of the core premise of it. So again, as I mentioned, to do that completely free, you pay zero dollars for all of that. But how they make their money and how they're making all of that money is you can purchase one way is through skins or appearance. So if I want my guy to look like a skeleton or, you know, I want to wear a suit of armor. There's available packs for purchase. So you pay $5 and now my guy looks like a skeleton. The other way, and this has been popularized through many of the biggest titles in gaming right now, is what they call kind of a premium pass. So you don't have to pay a monthly fee. But if you choose to, as you accomplish things in game, I won my first game. I played 10 matches. They'll give you extra rewards. So the skins that I mentioned that usually purchase for $5, if I buy this premium pass, let's say $12 a month, every time I achieve things, I'll get those kind of skins granted to me because I'm a subscriber. Theoretically, you're a subscriber for the entire month, for the year, for two or three years. And you get enough people out of the 100 million playing it, putting in that kind of money. And next thing you know, it's a massive property. So that's a, so yeah, that, so it's a lot to take in. So the way to think about those that used to be very much the game existed in a big physical cabinet inside of like an arcade an external building and we'd go there we put our money in and we'd leave full separation it came to where those con those little boxes actually came into our homes but they're fairly dumb like they're not connected to anything just your tv and you purchase a game fifty dollars and then you go that idea still exists you can still have a, a system and you can buy a game for eighty dollars so that's ongoing but what exists now is these games that people are willing to give to you for free. They design it, build it, put it out there for free. These are always online games connected through the internet. And if you so choose, you can put money into it. And that's proven to be so lucrative that, again, one company is making over $150 million a month. Now, I know the listeners can't see this, but literally from what you have said, I'm sitting here with my mouth wide open. <laughs> when you started talking about the amount of money sloshing around in this one particular game, mm -hmm. I couldn't understand how you didn't talk about advertising. I yeah. thought you were going to say advertising. But when you talk about this process of skin, so you are basically, okay, I want to create the, the, you know, the costume or the outfit and the personality for my character. Mm -hmm. Genius. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. genius. So they give you the game for free, get you involved in the game. Then you see everybody else's with their, their outfits and all the rest of it. And yeah, OK. And then you pay your five dollars or, or whatever. Absolutely genius. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of makes a segue, a very nice segue to the the dark and the light side of these practices. So to speak of the light first, is that it, it is a free game, right? So they genuinely are not trying to 
they're not forcing you to pay for it. Everybody can access it. It's kind of like a level playing field. Uh, they avoid one of those problems you could exi- imagine. If you're, you know, you're trying to compete, you're trying to, ultimately it's for fun, but generally you want to win. You know, they, it's it's like any game, like playing soccer, football, um, whatever you like. You're trying to win. Uh, one of the darker patterns was pay to win. So I, if I purchase this particular armor set, you know, I can take six extra shots that somebody else can't. That's called a pay to win scheme. And it kind of sucks because ultimately those who pay have an unfair advantage to those who can't afford it. A property like Fortnite, and honestly, many, because there's been a decent backlash against that type of thing. Generally speaking, it's like there's no such, that doesn't exist as much where you pay to have an advantage because it's really seen as bad. So to, on the light side, it's more, um, it's completely free game and everything is just cosmetic to kind of promote yourself and just represent yourself in the game. And they often do, they're very inclusive as far as their, they try to show as many different aspects or genres as they possibly can, try to be all inclusive. They have big events. They'll have, like they had Ariana Grande and other large superstars come and do in-game concerts. No violence, no gameplay, just a large interactive experience that went on for like two days. So what, what and that's, that just goes, they're, they're interesting stewards of their success. In that they're not just kind of resting and trying to squeeze out every dollar. They're trying to provide an interesting entertainment property. Now, that, that of course, being said, it is a company. <laughs> they are trying to make money. And some of the things they lean on and they've been criticized for, and correctly so, is there's a couple of psychological factors in play. And as parents who are trying to work with their kids and shepherd them through these gaming experiences, this is where it becomes very important to be aware of these so you can help best help your kid if they're going to participate in these games. So the dark side of this, and this it's not just Fortnite, it's just this exists all, but Fortnite just gives us a very nice viewpoint into it. With Fortnite, there'll be something like a sunk cost fallacy in the sense that I've already put money in, I should just keep putting money in. You know, some games, if you don't keep your subscription, they'll actually take away some things that you had so you want to always keep putting in. Um, for school grounds, you've heard of some phenomenons happening where if you don't have the latest skin from that month, you're perceived to be lesser. You don't you don't have as much. You're not affluent. You're like, oh, look at you know Johnny. He can't afford to have these skins like we can have. So it also becomes like a social metric, right? So it, they're kind of playing on those social cues to say oh like if you want to be hip and cool you got to have like the latest stuff the latest stuff right they do some things where this is one of the most nefarious and this exists across most of the gaming platforms is i would like to buy the skin and generally you would think that would be here's my one dollar take my dollar give it back what these games often do is they'll have a premium currency that you have to buy so they won't take my dollars to purchase that skin what they'll take is gems for instance but you have to buy one dollar buys 500 gems and then the outfit costs 450 gems so now i have some leftover gems and the next okay if i just put in a little bit more i can add to my pile of gems and then i can purchase more so by obfuscating the precise math on i'd like to purchase this for a dollar and then having leftover, you can see how they're kind of playing on a few psychological factors to try to get you to come back. You know, perhaps most nefarious would be what you'd almost call like the time investment, where for even if you have the premium pass, you still have to accomplish X, Y, Z, you know, win 10 battles, uh, get 20 guns, whatever you'd like to say. But that takes a significant amount of time. And every time you achieve one of those, you're rewarded. So it's a dopamine dump like, hooray, this is great. I'm progressing. The challenge with that is the players would be prompted to continue to play just one more game, just one more game, one more game. OK, I'll do my homework later. One more game, one more game. I won't study. And you can see how those loops come in. So so there's the duality of where we are with gaming in many ways is where it's a fun property from a company who seems to be doing some really great things. It is very much a true free title and that they're trying to be accessible and it can play on any platform. So you don't need a $600 PC or console. On the other side, they're 
at the end of the day, they are trying to make money and there are some psychological attacks kind of in play. So as parents of kids who want to put gaming, it's good to see both sides. It's like, all right, you're especially giving coming out of the pandemic when everybody was separated. The thought that um, myself and my good friend on the podcast, uh, the online spaces in these games became the hangouts when friends could not see each other. As friends move away, they can still get online to these servers. You know, so there's all those light. It becomes a fun, interactive place, online playground for times when those the real life one can't exist. But then, you know, conversely. So what's great for us parents is to understand the benefits of that and the social kind of glue that that can represent and the benefits while being fully aware of the dark stuff that's coming in and making sure that we're helping shepherd them and understand boundaries, understand limits. Like, okay, you only you can only play so much this time. You have to get outside. You need to play a sport, too. If you're going to have games, you have to make sure your grades stay up. You know, it's like, no, you can't subscribe to this because, you know, for all the cost factors we just mentioned. So, you know, it, for a parent, it, it's 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 a great opportunity and it's just really good to be aware of what's out there. Listening to what you're saying, Trevor, I have got this vision of a boardroom at one mm-hmm. of these gaming companies. We've got the the graphic designers of the game. Mm-hmm. We've got the accountants and we've got the psychologists and we've got the lawyers. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't decide who's going to earn the most money. The psychologist saying, OK, well, I don't care what your game is about, but you have got to get your gamers to buy in, to going up the levels, buying the skins, becoming a character. Mm-hmm. You've got the legal team saying, well, OK, we've got to make sure that. <laughs> We bring your vision, but we've got to stay on the right side of the law. Mm-hmm. We've got the bean counters basically saying, okay, well, we've, you know, who is this aimed at? Is this children? And we're going to be talking about a pound, a euro, or a dollar? Or are we going for people that are going to do a monthly or a six monthly subscription? And at the end of that food chain, I think we're actually going to have the game designers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's unfortunately true. The designers of games, and I've been fortunate to know a few uh, and actually released a game myself at some point uh, with a company. It's a very passionate group. Like they, they truly are. Some of the game designers are true artists in every sense of the word. They, they have a passion for it. They love the medium. They can tell an interactive story, you know, and probably like myself, they grew up with games. So to participate is great. And, you know, the very brief sidebar, the tools that exist to build games are the most accessible ever. It is so easy now to produce a game. Easy is not the right word. Approachable. Like most anybody could get into the tools to release a game. And that's a great thing. Like, you know, it's available to all to produce one of these mediums. I think that's great. Um, But unfortunately, because the artists have that passion, in some of the worst cases, it can be taken advantage of. So they finally get into this industry they love. They're building games like they always wanted to, and they can be kind of crunched down. So I think the it, it's a well-known thing in the industry that the game developers and builders tend to be kind of run through the machinery as opposed to the rest. Of them, like the psychologists and um, those who understand the human mind, would it, it's a, it's amazing how many of them work in game companies now for the precise reason you mentioned, where it's like that those psychological hooks and how to make sure players are spending and spending as much time in game as possible. Some fairly nefarious speeches online. And I, I, I dislike this part of it. It's good to be aware of it, and we have to face it full front. I dislike it because it's how it soils what I think is a very wonderful medium. But we we have to be like honest about what is out there. There's some terrible videos of said psychologists, exactly like you mentioned, giving speeches at game conferences about you know, how to wring the most out of your, that would, the speech I think was called how to turn players into payers is one of the, was one of the worst speeches. And it's just somebody being just a, almost a naked psychopath about how he was talking about people reduced down to their wallets. And to see that kind of poison exist within gaming is incredibly sad, but 
good it's you know again like that that's why speaking to parents about gaming and getting them involved is so important because it exists and we have to be aware of it and help shepherd kids around it i mean there's two things i want to ask you about trevor i think the first thing is children are so well averse with working with technology more Mm. so than a lot of adults so a lot of adults will just see the kids gaming and they've got the chair and they've got the console and they've got the headphones and they've got all the gear in their bedroom you know as long as they're not creating merry hell a lot of parents are like yeah okay i'm happy which is a bit sad but we all know that Mm. goes on i'm not sure how you would cope if you are a parent who's not into gaming and maybe doesn't want to understand it but you've got kids that are i mean Mm. i'm not interested in gaming and to sit down with a teenager to say okay well explain to me what the game is all about you can just see them rolling their eyes and you know you can just it's pain for them it's going to be pain Mm -hmm. for me but maybe it will be the thing to do to understand it how do parents if they are not into games but they actually want to as you say monitor what's going on in the bedrooms when the kids have got the headphones Mm -hmm. on and all the rest of it how can they just sort of monitor that and try and have a bit of an understanding as to what is going on as in getting the homework done getting social contact and getting a bit of fresh air Mm -hmm. yeah i think it, it starts outside i think um at one point, we we had tipped the balance with my oldest. We just saw his school uh, start to suffer a bit. And at the time, he was allowed a little bit of game time each day. And just very real-world cases, just his school started to suffer. So we sat with him. It's like school is the utmost importance. You love, like, I love games and you love games. I appreciate that. But until school picks up, like, we have to rebalance things. So accordingly like you're not going to play games anymore during the week it's taken away from school and that's like the most important and he'll be upset by that of course but i don't think there's a parent listen that doesn't think that's a reasonable thing and unfortunately he he bounced right back that that was kind of a trigger for it so it worked out great you know so i think you could look at that is there any outside play is there friends is there is a homework is school like schoolwork still going well to see if it's negatively impacting and you'll find that balance like you'll know your kid you know, and I don't think it's a matter of trying to be the hip, cool parent who plays Fortnite and you'll like fully get it and understand it so much as it is that just naked, honest conversation about like you spend a lot of time in this and I just want to understand it. I want, you know, I, I want to know it a bit better. Like, what are you doing? Why don't you just run me through quickly? Like uh, what's going on? Depending on the age of the kid, generally speaking, they're going to need if they were to purchase something, they would need your account. You know, they'd want your uh, credit card most all these purchases online are with a credit card and unless your 14 year old has a credit card <laughs> they probably have to go to you um, the other way though often a lot of kids are asking for uh, in physically in stores these games will sell cards like gift cards that converts to currency so they'll ask all you know parents or grandparents or whatever can i please have you know so much currency for my birthday and that's kind of nice it's, it's sort of like it's restricted it's like okay here's this one batch of currency not here's my credit card <laughs> have fun but i think you know that understanding a console and how to set it up or even maybe a pc where it's your account on the systems that would make the purchases so that there's kind of like that last gate like you're, you're the final say in it embarrassingly my <laughs> despite my podcast and despite everything i know about gaming my kids snuck in i think four game purchases <laughs> Because I had, I had failed, of all people, ironically, I had failed to set up the guardrails correctly on the console. So they had full access to the system and they just kept buying games. They're like, oh, this is great. Look at all these games. But I was, I was at work and I started getting these emails like, oh, you thanks for your purchase. Like, excuse me? <laughs> what purchase? But I, I digress. So like, I was able to put in the guardrails and now there's been a few conversations like, oh, can we buy this game? It's like, that costs X, Y, and Z. Like, do you have that money? Like, that's my money. I mean, you have a birthday coming up. We could discuss it then. But kind of place, if if you've purchased the console, it's worth spending the bit of time. As difficult as it can be, and I, I really appreciate that it is difficult, 
to go from zero, never playing a game to try to set up a whole console. There's a lot of videos online targeted for parents about how to set up a console and putting it into the kid-friendly modes so that you'll ultimately be the the last gate before a purchase can happen. But all, all that being said, that that's kind of it's one thing to be a stick as opposed to a carrot. And I think just an honest conversation where it's like I'm not I don't want to stop you from gaming. I don't want to be your gaming buddy necessarily. I'm not trying to inject myself into the, your pastime. It's just if you're going to be spending this much time is I just I just want some insight. So like walk me through and like how does it work? Like what are you doing? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Like have, have you had any issues? Like let's talk. And then even at the supper table at some point they'll perhaps discuss a campaign they went on or an achievement. And maybe you don't understand all the lyric, but you can understand their excitement for it. And they could talk through. One of my sons this morning was telling me how in Minecraft he was building a bunk bed. And just <laughs> he was so excited, like he had saved his materials and he had crafted it. He worked very hard on it. And whether or not you understand the context or the game, you can understand the excitement about it. And that's where you can kind of insert yourself. And being part of that conversation, I think, allows you to help steer and shepherd them through. Another thing I wanted to cover with you is apparently it's a thing where you will go on to YouTube and watch other people playing these games. So whereas I might go on and I'm watching somebody cook something, they are watching somebody play this game. And is that so that they can become better? Is it like a, a tutoring type thing? This is this is how to play it. This is what to avoid. Is that what it's for? Um. Partly. Uh, so it's I absolutely adore it. And people could look it up or they might even recall it. But there was a far side uh, cartoon, a comic strip panel drawn. And the joke was like, they saw, you know, the little son playing a Nintendo. And then they're looking at these want ads like dreaming in the future, like, oh, a professional Nintendo player, 500,000 a month type of thing. <laughs> and as if to say, like, isn't that hilarious? Isn't that far fetched? Ha ha ha. But some of the most popular streamers, like ones that you mentioned, people who play video games and have people watch, they they themselves will make like five million dollars a month. Like there is some astronomically well-paid people in the industry that the only thing they do is they play games and they stream to people doing it. So uh, the big things to be aware of that is there's uh, Twitch. So Twitch.tv, Twitch Gaming. If you're, you're a professional Twitch streamer. It's called. <clears throat> then you have uh, Facebook gaming is also there. And so same with YouTube. So on YouTube when you're, or even Twitch when you're watching clips, uh, the angle would be, you know, I, I'm having trouble getting this particular item or crafting this or I want to get better at this game. And people will put together how-to videos, much like they would for anything else. Here's how you build a shed. Here's how you interact with this program. Here's how you build a better Fortnite building. So, a whole, so certainly there's a whole kind of guidance part which is cool. And then the Twitch side is just live entertainment. It's not an appropriate analogy, but you could consider it like watching a musician live where there's just a certain talent and skill. And the best ones, it's not so much about being, there's kind of two angles. It's either they're so amazing at the game, it's fascinating to watch them how they play, or they're just so entertaining at it. Where it's like, you know, the band, it's, the bands that make it aren't necessarily the greatest musicians. They're just vastly entertaining and they put on a good show so these people are playing games and they're funny entertaining and they just have a really weird way about approaching it that entice an audience and every time they play they'll have a hundred five thousand ten thousand people tuned in live to watch them play i mean that is just fascinating as in yes we will watch a video on on how to make an omelette and we think that's okay what is the difference in watching a gamer playing a game so that I can play mm -hmm. that game better? That makes total sense. The numbers of people going in to watch these games online, you know, these gamers do play in the games is incredible. And five million dollars a month that I mean, these numbers, Trevor, are just yeah. off yeah. the scale. So yeah, now that, that is the upper echelon. There's very few people that make that much, to be clear. But there, there's not an insignificant amount that make a living. So they'll make $2,000, $5,000, $10,000 10, a month. And that is their job. Their job is to play games. And it's kind of grueling because they'll show up 
five to seven days a week doing it, needing to stream at least four to five hours a day. So it <laughs> kind of ruins a hobby in some small way. I mean, we are talking about these professional gamers and making a lot of money. Universities are now offering courses where you're designing the games and all the rest of it. So mm-hmm. literally, they are producing the gamers of the future, whether they're going to be mm-hmm. actually playing the games or whether they're going to be game designers or the psychology of gaming. We've got a whole industry that mm-hmm. is just blowing up and sprouting legs all to do yeah. with the gaming industry. Yes, and it's funny, they keep merging and demerging and decoupling in interesting ways. There's a few prominent camps that will teach math, science, and language within Minecraft. So you, the child with Minecraft, will meet up on a server with a teacher and then a whole class of other kids. And the entire purpose is to recreate real-world experiments so that you're practicing science and math and even coding, programming, to become like a programmer, real-world skills. So it's in that sense, that's one of those cases where you, you meet your audience where they are. And it's kind of a sneaky way to say, like, if you if you want to play some more Minecraft, well, fine, but I'm going to secretly teach you some science <laughs> while we're doing so. And, I, and I'll say, like, when we're currently in summer break with my kids, so that's two months off, and to keep them sharp, what I've tricked him into doing is every night if he wants to play, get like a little bit more game time, if you want like 30 more minutes, you have to read us a book and a French book. He's he's learning another language. So you have to read us a French book and you're going to pra- practice math with me. And now <laughs> he comes at me every night. He's like, OK, can I do some homework so I can play? Like He's so focused on the reward, but secretly <laughs> I'm setting this baseline of education. And again, that's just where that kind of to tie it to the previous point, but that's just where that awareness and parental conversation with them gives you opportunities to participate in positive manners. Another point I want to cover with you, Trevor, let's talk about Candy Crush. Mm-hmm. Okay. Of course. All I see is particularly adults playing <laughs> Candy Crush on their phone. Now, I did say right at the beginning, I have no idea about gaming. That's why you are here. You're our expert. So, mm. Was Candy Crush devised for slightly older people or was it for everybody and adults have just kept it going? What, what What's the what is I mean, is it it's collecting sweets and they're different colors and they filter down? I mean, I've got no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a, a matching game that has a certain progression level to it. So at its core, it's fairly basic. I don't, I don't know that it was produced for adults. I think it was produced for the widest possible group they try to make it as accessible as possible so people could get in and then you could apply some i don't like the word addictive but probably the best way to say it addictive hooks in that this is a it's fun this is easy like i can kind of understand it and there's ways to um there's rewards for coming back every single day so i like doing it and every time i do it i'm rewarded and it's accessible and I can share it out socially and get extra bonuses. You'll see if like on a Facebook profile, oh, Janice has played so many hours of Cranny Crush or achieved this level. So kind of fear of missing out type of stuff. So I don't know that it was as insipid as saying, I want to <laughs> let's capture the adult market as it was saying, what if we and I like this category of gaming, honestly, it's a, it's a question of what if we produced a game that was much more broadly accessible? Than, a lot, than what is classically considered a video game, as opposed to this tiny male protagonist who's going to produce violence to achieve a result. What if it's like simple, soft puzzles solving metrics? It's a good example of some of the worst hooks around gaming in that the monetization through uh, microtransactions and uh, subscriptions and constant dopamine dumps because of monitored progression. But at the same time, it's a good example of how gaming can reach a wider audience and give a lot of enjoyment to a big swath of people no matter where they're coming from so with candy crush then it's bright it's colorful relatively Mm -hmm. easy to learn you Mm -hmm. can play it on your phone with great graphics 
Mm-hmm. You've then got levels. You can play against your friend. You can play against somebody in another country. So it ticks all the boxes in that respect. So when you're designing a game, it's like, okay, is it going to be for a mobile phone? Is it going to be on a console? Or are we going to have these on huge big screen TV type things? Mm-hmm. This is absolutely fascinating yeah well and think too like it's back to the fortnite version candy crush isn't so bad of an example either because it there is a computer version so you have like a big computer screen you have the phone version you have the tablet version so they're, they're coming at you from every possible direction much like fortnite so it's everything from a 72 inch big screen tv with a console down to like the tiniest little android phone where you can actually play the same game so it's the breadth of devices these experiences can be enjoyed on are it's kind of remarkable and, and then real time in, in the fortnite example you're competing against people this guy's on a computer this guy's on a phone this guy's on a tablet we're all in the same world then you get the accessibility uh, candy crush it's either in a browser on facebook or your mobile phone and able to access it it, I'm, it's remarkable. I, I've been playing some mobile titles lately in review for the podcast, and you know the twelve-year-old version of myself. They used to have these like big blocky, <laughs> tiny characters with bleeps and bloops, is trying to comprehend how on earth they're achieving what they are on these tiny little phones that we carry around in our pockets at all time. It's an exciting time. I think we went through a real dark period of. The aggressive monetization, dark practices, like really grinding people. But for instance, uh, there was a big title re- recently released called Diablo Immortal. Uh, it, it's a fairly heavy, dark game. However, the monetization was so severe that Europe banned it. It's not allowed in some European countries. I think Germany and two or three others. Because governments, too, are starting to become savvy to the fact that this could be a net negative for our society so we have to monitor and be careful of it so you start to see the things come through and i I think it hearkens hopefully a better world where we've dialed in the monetization where companies are able to make a profit but not you know exploit people while also being in this great place of what we've learned on how to produce games and experiences for people that ideally brings them together and hopefully teaches kids a thing or two so Trevor, can we talk about your podcast then? So how did you start your podcast? What's the aim of your podcast? And is yeah. it a weekly, a fortnightly? Let's talk about your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, sorry, fortnight is in the game or the uh, the time period. Once a fortnight. <laughs> the, um, yes, it's me and a wonderful friend of mine, Jeff, from college, and we've actually been running it. Uh, it's almost close to seven years. Because we started it when my firstborn came about. And it was an answer to a question uh, between good friends. Like what, someone who grew up with gaming, what happens when they have children of their own? And A, you don't have, you have less, on the one side, it's the less time for the hobby. So what does that look like? Like what changes in how you approach this hobby that you love so much? How does that change? You're not going to be playing all night anymore because you have your infant waking up at 2 a.m. So that changes. But then it's also grown down to what happens when your kids start playing games. What's appropriate? What did we try this week? Like, what have we learned? So it's just a converse, uh, honest conversation between fathers who grew up with gaming are now starting to enjoy gaming with their kids. And what does the hobby look like for themselves, for ourselves? And what does it look like as we enjoy it with our kids? So we've been, we've been going for seven years. And one of the secrets is... I think we're most excited about is basically a diary because as we go week by week you can see you know there was my son being born there was my second son being born there was Jeff's kids like going into a different school there was a move there was you know you get all these moments in time that are captured as snapshots of two fathers trying to figure out gaming and their gaming lives as well as just parent general parenting and fatherhood so it's the yeah, it's been a real blessing to have gone this long, and it's been just a lot of fun. It's great to talk to Jeff every week. Gaming podcast. So 
are you reviewing games? Are you talking about new games that you've tried personally? What sort of the content of your podcast? It really is like the kind of to harken back. It is fatherhood and gaming. So one of us will have a challenge that's just pure fatherhood. We're having this issue at school or, you know, this has come about. I came across this game. Everybody should check it out. But a lot more it's in the context of I, I like this game, but because of my fatherhood duties, it's just it's kind of beyond me. I'm not going to be able to play it or this game with my limited time. It's actually really great. This game, you know, we were playing with I was playing with my son and it was a really amazing time. Like the, we bonded over this game and it's perfectly age appropriate. And it's a, I suggest everybody checks it out. Good examples of what fathers and kids can play or really any parent. So it's like what what is a great game? kids and their parents to play as well as just the trials and tribulations of fatherhood both in gaming and just in life as well so you know obviously the, a good example was when my son's schooling in the previous year had started to dip that it was just an interesting conversation where it's well as much i love playing games with my son but his grades started to dip so the real natural one is we had to start removing gaming and like the fallout from that, like the exploration, Jeff was able to relay some stories that, and successes he had in a similar instance. You know, it comes time when the kids ask for a console. I want, can I have a new console? They're very expensive. And how do you balance your family budget with the desire of the kid to have like the latest shiny thing? Plus, obviously, the own, your own selfish desire to also have that same shiny thing. So, it, you know, it's that push and pull of fatherhood, gaming and everything in between. So, Trevor, you've got two boys. Mm-hmm. Both of your boys are into gaming? They are, yeah. And the, the older one has really dragged the younger one into it very hard because he always wants to have a gaming buddy. So, But they, they've both gotten into it, yeah. Okay, so what about your wife? Is she into gaming? Oh, not in the slightest. She's so confused by it. <laughs> She's very, I, should, I should send her this episode and maybe provide some of the context of it well that's so really no, interesting because obviously she's got three males in the house who are into gaming yeah. and she's just like no we're just really not interested no she's an amazing and patient woman so <laughs> she she appreciates that we all like it as much as we do and we do our best to speak with one another and have a unified front on parenting and so the the decisions around for instance like again i keep harking to the same example but i think it's really exemplary but the her and I like discussed and came to that decision as a parenting unit that like, all right, this gaming represents a good place to take something away so that he can better focus on schooling. And then we came at it together. So it wasn't so much like a um, because, me because I know gaming. I'm, I'm the one who's going to put it down. It was more a total parental decision of it. So despite the fact that she doesn't know it very much by the, uh, the thesis in some ways of how we think that all parents should know a little bit about it she does so like she, she has some context to it both from what i've said and just her own looking into it so with that like that's the gaze that she puts upon it to say okay well here's the limits here's where she'd be careful and here's where we can make decisions together about it can i ask you then if we had a hundred gamers how many would be women or girls hmm. let's just go broad spectrum here it has really risen recently which has been great i think the new generation there's a certain stigma around it's just a male thing but i think that has vastly gone the wayside there's also been games that are introduced that have more the female gaze as opposed to the male gaze which has been wonderful now it still is some catching up to do so i would i would probably put in the 30 percent to 40 percent i'd like it to be in the 40 percent that's the number i more lean towards it's a great party i was at for new year's and there was this group of six little girls, uh, or, you know, they're all 12-year-old, I shouldn't say little, and they all had their mobile phones, and they were all playing Fortnite together. They, they were having a match, and they're all, like, fairly good at it. And it, it was remarkable in the sense that I noticed it in that that's not expected. You know, classically, it's like, oh, it's a male-dominated thing. It's only little boys that want to do it. But I think with these new titles and how they've been approached, I think you're seeing more and more women enter into it so i think it's a very positive thing i think that's really fascinating because when i think about gaming in general i'm thinking of car chases wars mm. battles 
killing people to get through various levels, that type of thing. Are there any games aimed at the female gamers? And if so, what would those games consist of? Yeah, as you said, it's difficult not to get into sexist tropes uh, when you discuss it, because you'd say to be sexist, you'd mention some nonsense like a cooking sim. Or There's a lot of female professional game streamers. There was an interesting debate online because a lot of people said it was just men who want to gaze at women playing games. But in truth, like when people went a bit deeper, what they found is that the female streamers were much more social with the activity. So they would be playing something like Fortnite or a card game or something like that. But they were they were really interacting with the fans. So as much as the game was there, the social interaction and that, um, yeah, that social fabric of like having an audience and going back and forth, like their performance was much better you know, and, and just more interesting. So street female streamers have done very well within gaming. So for games themselves with the broad spectrum, some that some that have done very well are there's a series called The Sims. So The Sims, as funny as it sounds, it is you just managing people's lives. So the, you have a household and you have people and then you can just surround those people with certain instruments to try to make their lives happy. And you can kind of promote them into certain jobs or, you know, you can make, help make decisions about how they have kids or like what the uh, house situation is. As I understand it, that series is very popular females. There's uh, building simulators, Minecraft itself. Minecraft as a game is incredibly inclusive and fairly applicable to all as far as like a, a big sandbox, like the biggest Lego set in the world. And that appeals to a broad spectrum. And I think and I think a game like Fortnite, to keep referring back to it, has done a lot to be inclusive with their female skins and game modes that would appeal to anybody and just pull them all in. So I think as games break out of what would be a classically very narrow view around, okay, games are about guns and tanks and violence and explosions. What is it? Snails, tails, and <laughs> puppy dog, whatever the old rhyme yeah, is for men. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, as it goes beyond that, I think you're seeing a lot of success in bringing in females into a lot of the gaming. I'd like to think it's in the 40% range, at least at this stage, with the uh, female gamers coming in. Trevor, my last question to you then, what is the future of gaming? What's your opinion? Hmm. Yeah, that one's interesting. I think I'd like to I'd like to be optimistic. I am optimistic. I'm always I always try my best to be optimistic. I think as I said, we've kind of gone through a dark chasm of monetization and exploitation. I think we've also seen the kind of upper limits and almost lack of requirement of the latest and greatest graphics. There was sort of a you know, foot race to who is going to have the greatest graphics, but it's kind of arrived at a point where it doesn't matter. It's like, it's a rock. It only needs to look so good. And in fact, it's a bit more interesting to see it rendered artistically rather than realistically. So, you know, I think it's hard to peg down because it's so wide, right? Where there's a beautiful indie scene and indie is, it's it just means small teams, very small games, like and maybe they cost like five dollars and beautiful tiny experiences. Very much the fruition of what I mentioned, where it's so easy to produce games, right? So there, there's this blossoming of indie scenes where the so many beautiful tiny experiences where people can experience it, and then on the other side you have these large bombastic, larger than life experiences like Fortnite and Minecraft and these things that transcend media and consoles and everything else i I think what you're probably going to see is less focus on hardware yeah less focus on hardware and more of almost a netflix model of being able to play whatever you want wherever you want like just stream to your device and removal of barriers of connectivity and capability and hardware requirements so specific most specifically is xbox has had uh, Microsoft, Microsoft Xbox, they had tremendous success with a new service they offer called game streaming, where you can very much think of it like the Netflix of games, where you have a bevy of titles put into categories and you choose one of them and you're just immediately playing it. There's no, you don't purchase a physical disc. You don't have, your hardware doesn't really matter. It's really just a connect, an internet connection. 
and you're immediately just playing that game. There's no downloads, like nothing else. And you're just eat into it and you're playing it. Just recently, and I think this kind of hints at the future, Samsung released a TV that has the Xbox app on it, much like you would have Netflix. So no console, no nothing. You just have your TV and a controller, and now you're playing the game. What I think probably the future gets into is a place where we've kind of edged off some of the worst parts of monetization, as I mentioned, and gaming very much becomes this buffet, this immediate access to it, to a world of gaming where you're going to be able to dive into remove. So the removal of certain requirements that might bar some people from playing it no longer is required the $800 console purchase. Instead, it's just a subscription like Netflix and you are able to access a whole world of gaming, whatever you like. Trevor, this has been such a fascinating conversation. (laughs) For somebody as myself hasn't a clue about gaming, you have so opened up my eyes. It's been fascinating. And I love the way we've talked about different games. We've talked about the connection of games and particularly being a parent, if you've got kids that are into gaming, I, I think that is just so valuable as in the mm-hmm. advice and the information you have given. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Absolutely blasted having a chat with you today. And as I said, I think with the parenting thing, much like other parts of parenting, it's about just kind of open-minded conversations with them and being involved without being overbearing. And I think with that, there's a whole lot of wonderful benefits that can come from gaming if you are knowledgeable and approach it kindly and openly. Well, you've certainly opened my eyes up to the world of gaming. So, Trevor, thank you so much for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I I wasn't really sure how I would feel about this conversation because I've always been gaming. Yeah, well, it's not really for me and it's boys and it's all war and killing people. But I think you have really opened up my eyes. So I say a huge thank you for that because it has been a real education. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, you are so welcome. And thank you very much again, Trevor. Uh, Have a great one. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please subscribe on whatever platform you are using. It is free. And if you would like to tell your story, please contact me on allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and let's tell your story.